Good morning and welcome to Beacon Church's Sunday morning message. So pleased you could join us and if this is your first time, you are more than welcome. Glad that you found us. In just a few moments, Andrea Benson will be speaking to us from Luke chapter 4 about the temptations of Jesus. Um, but before I hand over to her, I just want to pray for us. Um, with that in mind, I just want to read a quote by a theologian from California called Michael Horton. He just makes a very, very important point that what we're doing right now as the church, um, it, we're not meeting physically. We're doing this by clicking play on a video or by joining in on Zoom. It's not the same. Of course it's not by, by a long stretch, but it's the best we can do right now. But it is significant and it is powerful and it is world changing. What we're doing now, we're, we're not just watching a video uh, or we're not just sitting on a Zoom call watching it. Together, there is something far more fundamental going on here. And this is what Michael Horton points out just about the church when we gather. Right now, we are still, as best we can, gathering. And there's something very poignant about that. He says this. He says, whenever we gather for public worship, it is because we have been summoned. This is what church means. Ecclesia means called out. It is not a voluntary society of those whose Chief concern is to share, to build community, to enjoy fellowship, to have moral instruction for their children. Rather, it is a society of those who have been chosen, redeemed, called, justified and are being sanctified, made like Jesus, until one day they will be glorified. The very fact that we gather says something. What we're doing right now is world changing and we need to enjoy that embrace that, celebrate that, believe it. <laughs> uh, with that in mind, let me just pray for us and then I'll let Andrea do the talking. Lord, we thank you that you have called us out. You have rescued us as, as we, your people, those of us that love your son, Jesus, and, are, and are, we, we know and believe that we are saved by his work on the cross and rising again to give us new life with you. We thank you for that and we thank you that that you've called us into your mission on this planet. We thank you that you've called us into a, an abundant life that starts now, that isn't easier, but is fuller. And we thank you and we celebrate you, Lord. Help us as we listen to your word right now. Will you speak to us? Will you provoke us? Will you challenge us? Will you help us to grow, to become more like you, so we can uh, reveal more of your glory on this earth and bring others, draw others to you? as well, Lord. This is all for your glory, not for ours. And we thank you that we get to play a part in what you're doing here right now. We celebrate the wonders of the church and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Over to Andrea. Good morning, everybody. Well, first of all, I hadn't fully appreciated how tricky it is recording a preach uh, for Sundays. So to those of you that have been doing it for the best part of a year, thank you. Well done. It's my turn now and it is not easy. All right, so today we are continuing in our series on Luke. We are in Luke 4 verses 1 to 13, looking at the temptations Jesus faced in the wilderness. It was a huge test right at the start of his ministry and I'm going to focus on what helped Jesus overcome temptation? What is the wilderness temptation experience all about? And what we can learn from this passage to equip and prepare us when we face trials and temptation. First of all, Joe is going to read the passage for us. 
The Temptation of Jesus When Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, Is it not written, Man shall not live by bread alone? And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all of the authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you, then, will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, Is it written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve? And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him if you are the son of God throw yourself down from here for it is written he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone and Jesus answered him is it said you shall not put the Lord your God to the test and when the devil had ended every temptation he departed from him until the opportune time. Thank you, Joe. Before we get started, the passage talks about the devil tempting Jesus. So, in a quick aside, who is the devil? The Bible tells us the devil is a fallen angel who rebelled and set himself up against God and roams around the earth, causing trouble. He's not equal to God in any way. He was created by God as a beautiful being. He can be very crafty in his lies and temptations and his goal is to wreak havoc and to destroy. In John 8 verse 44, Jesus describes him as the father of lies. In due course, he will be dealt with for all eternity. We don't need to be afraid of him. Or see him behind everything that goes wrong every time we miss the bus or we stub our toe but we do need to be aware of his schemes but just so we are clear when we're talking about temptation we also have a tendency to get into trouble all by ourselves and to be tempted without any help just leave me alone with a bar of Cadbury's fruit and nut and see what happens or at the other end of the scale there are very serious temptations, which if we give in to them, could shipwreck our life, our marriage, our job, or the work God has called us to do. And we can also be tempted by worldly things, material wealth, chasing fame, popularity, prioritising comfort over our walk with God, so we can't always blame the devil. With temptation, it doesn't matter where it comes from, but it matters what choices we make when faced with it. So back to the passage. What do we know about Jesus and how he faced temptation in the wilderness? Leading up to Luke chapter four, Luke has gone out of his way to highlight evidence that confirms that Jesus is the Messiah. We had angels visiting Mary, angels visiting the shepherds, leading them to Jesus, announcing that the Messiah had been born, the one who would be called Son of the Most High. We had hosts of angels appearing, praising God. 
When Jesus was just eight days old and his parents took him to the temple, both Simeon and Anna prophetically confirmed his calling and identity from Old Testament prophecies. In chapter two, we get the hint of his extraordinary maturity and interest in the things of God and his knowledge of the scriptures as a young boy. In chapter three, Luke gives us the genealogy from Joseph all the way back to Adam. And finally, at his baptism, the Holy Spirit comes down as a dove and the audible voice of God announces, this is my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. What I take from Luke's evidence is that Jesus himself would have known these things. He would have been told them from his childhood. He would have had a strong sense of who he was, his identity, the prophetic, the angels, etc. Even if some of it was probably a mystery to him and his family. And we know he had a thorough knowledge of scriptures. So, and verse 1 of chapter 4 says that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. So what we know about the wilderness is that he goes in as someone who had a strong sense of his identity, knowing the scriptures and full of the Holy Spirit. I believe it was these three things that equipped him to get through the wilderness and then enabled him to carry out his ministry and face the opposition and ultimately endure the cross. We don't all have angelic choirs accompanying our arrival in this world or hear the audible voice of God as we get baptised, etc. But the point we can take away from this is the importance of knowing who we are in Christ, knowing the word of God and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Stephen David talked last week about the importance of a bedrock of certainty for our faith. So how can we be certain of our identity? That we are loved, accepted and secure in our relationship with God. It's not about whether we feel saved or don't feel saved. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour and invited him into your life? Have you accepted the fact that your sin separated you from God and that Jesus' death on the cross on your behalf paid for that, paid for that sin and allows you to be reconciled to God and adopted into his family? If so, then you are his child. You belong to him. Your name is written in his book on the palms of his hands and no one and nothing can snatch you from his hand or separate you from his love. It can be a long journey understanding and living in the good of that. Courses like Alpha can help us understand the gospel. Courses like Freedom in Christ or Steps can help us understand our identity in Christ and overcome fears or doubts about how God sees us. If you would like to know more, speak to the elders. So to Jesus, fresh from his baptism, he went into the wilderness to face significant testing. Let's talk about the wilderness. Notice this. Verse 1 tells us that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. This wilderness experience was no accident. God led his son there. We'll have a look at why in a minute. We read that Jesus ate nothing and was tempted by the devil for 40 days. So in addition to the three temptations that Luke records, 
The devil didn't just appear at the end to tempt Jesus. He was there the whole time. If you've ever fasted, you know how weak you can feel and how tempting the thought or smell of food is. But over 40 days, Jesus would have been at the very end of his physical strength and resistance. So I got to wondering, what was God's reason for leading Jesus there? I can see that the devil had a reason for tempting Jesus. His goal was to stop Jesus' vital rescue mission for humanity, stop it in its tracks, to lure Jesus off course, to offer him shortcuts and challenge his identity to tempt him to prove who he was. If you're the son of God, you can throw yourself off here. You won't hurt yourself. If you're the son of God, just make some bread. Or just worship me and I will give you the kingdoms of the world. I.e. tempting Jesus to avoid the agony of the cross. And each time Jesus comes back with a scripture. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Worship and serve the Lord your God only. Man doesn't just live from bread, and the Gospel of Matthew adds, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus had to choose between what he was sorely tempted by in the moment and what was most important, and he held strong. But what was God's reason for leading Jesus into the desert? Hebrews 2:17 says that although he was sinless, Jesus had to be like the rest of us. For this reason, he had to be made like them, i.e. children of God, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, He was tested in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. So having come through the trial and Satan's lies, Jesus begins his ministry with extraordinary power and authority over Satan and sickness and proclaims the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Having come through the trial and Satan's lies, he began his ministry with extraordinary power and authority over Satan and sickness and proclaims the good news of the kingdom of God. Aren't we glad that Jesus didn't give in to temptation and ruin God's plan of salvation for all our sakes? But what can we learn from this? The first thing we can take away from this passage is that temptations and trials in themselves don't mean that God doesn't love us or isn't with us. Sometimes he allows trials. Sometimes we face trials because we live in a broken world. We make a mess of things. Others make a mess of things. We face opposition for being Christians. The devil likes to cause trouble. It can be a shock and very discouraging when as Christians in the comfortable West we face difficulties and opposition. But it was no surprise to Jesus or the believers in the early church. The gospel, although it is very, very good news for all of us, literally turned the world upside down and the early believers faced much opposition. 
Many still do today. But we do not go through these trials alone. God helps and provides. In Matthew's account of the wilderness, he records that after the devil left, angels came and attended Jesus. Secondly, we learn that because Jesus faced temptation, he is able to sympathise and help us. He is not indifferent to what we go through because he also went through it. I don't know about you, but you can usually sympathise with someone who is going through something, but you often can't fully know what they're going through unless you've been through it yourself. Jesus understands us because he went through temptation too. Jesus didn't fall when faced with temptation, but he knows that we are frail. He knows that we will fall probably many, many times, but there is grace and help and forgiveness. There is no condemnation from him. In John 16, verse 33, Jesus tells us, in this world, you will have trouble. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, Paul talks about a time when he was under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Many of us have faced such situations. So in this world, we will have trouble. But the second part of John 16, verse 33, is what Jesus begins to demonstrate in his wilderness experience. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He faced and overcame extreme temptation, which could have shipwrecked his mission to save us all. If we are going to follow Jesus, we will also face wilderness experiences and many temptations. The final point is that not only does Jesus understand and care about the trials we face, his example shows us that there is huge blessing if and when we do overcome and we don't give in and we don't quit. God wants the very best for us and for us to grow to maturity. Like young children learning to walk, a baby goes from just about learning how to stand holding onto a chair or mum's hand to learning how to walk, falling over every five seconds and getting bumps and bruises, to getting steadier on their feet, running, and then running more confidently and for longer distances. So we don't need to beat ourselves up when we fail, but we can, can become wise to the things that can derail our faith and cause wipeouts. The devil may lie to us about the impossibility or hopelessness of our situation, or about God's indifference or unwillingness to help. So we need to be familiar with the Bible so we can come back at the lie with truth. We also have each other and we support each other. We will all have good times and bad times and need help or be able to offer help to others. So what are the signs that we're vulnerable? Do any of you remember Tim Vine and his um, stand-up comedy act? One of his songs was called Alarm Bells. Whenever something was a little bit, he would sing, alarm bells, alarm bells. What are some of the enemy's schemes? What are the alarm bells that warn us we're vulnerable and maybe need to take action or reach out for help? And what practical strategies can we deploy to help ourselves 
and help each other. Some of the things that might ring a bell are discouragement. A lot of us are facing tough circumstances and we all need to encourage and be encouraged. Division. When we disagree or pull in opposite directions or separate ourselves. Unity is really important. Fear. Some fear is normal, but constant fear or terror? Our emotions can be super strong, but they don't change who God is or who he says we are. It's time to reach out and ask for help. Doubt. When we doubt that God loves us or wants to help us, when we think we should avoid him because he's angry, alarm bell. Isolation. Really difficult at the moment. When we're alone, we are more vulnerable. Community support is a lifeline. Sin. When we are caught up in sin and or trying to justify something we know isn't great, or when we can't stop something, alarm bell. Distraction, apathy. When we are ignoring things that really matter, wasting time instead. And finally, when we are not praying, not reading our Bible and not meeting together, alarm bells. So, to end, a brilliant story of trials and temptation. I have recently finished reading KGB's Most Wanted, the autobiography of Joseph Bondarenko, a Russian pastor, now in his 80s, who faced incredible opposition and persecution for his faith in pre-Gorbachev Russia. As a young man, he had to give up his studies as a marine engineer, his life's dream, because he was a Christian and wouldn't deny his faith. Even his friends told him, graduate from the university first, and then, if you must, share your faith. At the university meeting to decide his fate, he said publicly, I have been asked to make a choice. Graduate from here and become a qualified engineer, but renounce God. My desire is to graduate, but I cannot renounce my God for the sake of a diploma. He was expelled from university in his final year and became a crane driver instead to support himself as he served the church. As a young pastor and then a husband and father, he continued to serve God, preach the gospel and build local churches and three times was sent to prison, each time for three years including starvation, torture, labour camps and solitary confinement in the atheistic Soviet prison system. His KGB interrogators said, if you give up your gibberish, you may go free tomorrow. Bondarenko wrote, my spirit battled within me. If I agreed to the minister's terms, I could be free. But the Holy Spirit strengthened my will and gave me inner power to answer to him, the interrogator, I will never compromise with God's enemies. As the Iron Curtain fell, 
Bondarenko and his fellow pastors and believers who had suffered so much and lost so much were freed and saw the gospel preached far and wide and the church grow exponentially. It could never have happened if they had sold out and opted for a less comfortable, safer path. Their experiences and commitment to honouring God gave them an authority and an anointing that only grow in the flames of adversity. So in conclusion, most of us, mercifully, won't face experiences or temptations like Jesus in the wilderness or Joseph Bondarenko in prison. But scripture is clear, we will all face trouble and there is a lot of grace to survive and the opportunity to grow through it. This last year, we have all learnt things about ourselves, about the bedrock of our faith when everything else is shaken. Perhaps it has also woken me up, and maybe all of us, and reminded us that we are not here to settle. We are on a mission. Perhaps this week in Growth Group, we can discuss the three specific temptations Jesus faced and the temptations we face in the 21st century, some listed above and look at strategies for resisting temptation and surviving trials when they come. Thoughts for temptation proofing our lives, or how to get wise to temptation. By the way, if anyone listened to this, knowing uh, you've been struggling or messed up this week and you're feeling discouraged, honestly, we probably all have. Remember, God knows we are human and frail, and we will get things wrong. He doesn't beat us up about it, so we shouldn't beat ourselves up. Come to your loving Heavenly Father, tell him about it, and ask for his help. Maybe ask for a friend to talk things through with you. Nothing can separate us from his love or his grace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are always with us, that you have given us your word, you give us your Holy Spirit without limit and you've put us in a church family. We commit ourselves to you this week and we pray that we would continue to learn and grow together about your mission for us and how much you are with us and you, are love, you love us. Amen. Thank you so much, Andrea. That was so sensitive and wise and easy to apply to our lives. Temptation is something that none of us are immune to, are we? Uh, but we can know that Jesus completely empathises and has dealt, dealt with sin on the cross. So when we do fall, when we do stumble, he picks us up again. Let's just keep turning to him. Let's be on the lookout for those alarm bells that, uh, that Andrew is listing. Discouragement, disagreement, doubt, when we're feeling isolated, when we do give in to sin, when we know those pitfalls for us personally, we know our individual unique ones, don't we? When we're distracted, when we're feeling apathetic, when we're not reading our Bible, we're not praying, when we're not gathering with our brothers and sisters. Let's seek ways to safeguard against these things, to look, be on the lookout for each other. Let's keep the conversation alive with each other this week in growth groups, but just generally as we go. Let's keep talking about this and helping one another to keep looking to Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, then please do get in touch. There'll be an email address in just a minute. And there's songs on the video link as well to help us celebrate this further and worship our living God. Please do get in touch. Please do worship on the back of this. Please do be on the lookout 
and let's keep looking to Jesus. He's the one that does the rescuing. He's the one that gives us the grace to walk through these things in this life. He's amazing. Let's stick closely to him. Be blessed and have a great week.